Hello friends, Michael Gray with here. Today's episode is a little long. This is the episode I promised last time that we will be talking about May being Mental Health Awareness Month. A couple things uh, about today's episode. We do mention this in the episode a little bit later after we introduce our guest, but I want to state this before the episode even starts. Though our guests are licensed clinicians, we, your hosts, are not licensed psychologists or mental health experts. All statements and opinions are those of the individual stating them and should not be taken as medical advice. You'll hear me state that again later in the episode. And I also wanted to clarify, in today's episode, you'll hear us mention a few times not having enough spoons. If that sounds kind of weird to you or if this is a phrase that is not familiar to you, here is the Wikipedia definition for this term. A person who runs out of spoons has no choice but to rest until their spoons are replenished. This metaphor is used to describe the planning that many people have to do to conserve and ration their energy reserves to accomplish their activities of daily living. I just wanted to clarify that term because you hear us stated a lot in today's episode, but no one really goes into definition of what that means. And with that being said, We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Again, it's a little longer than what we normally try to do, but we cover so many important topics. We hope you enjoy and we hope you get something out of it. And now, on to the show. Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Walking the Unnamed Path. We are a podcast dedicated to expanding on the teachings and techniques given to us by the ancestors of men who love men and laid out by our late brother and founder, Hyperion. We also discuss topics and ideas pertaining to queer pagan men and the greater queer community. I'm one of your co-hosts, Michael Greywolf, and joining me tonight are my fabulous co-conspirators and co-hosts, Chris Ripple and Chase Powers. If you haven't already, please hit subscribe to stay up to date on your preferred platform so you know whenever we are putting out uh, new episodes. And as always, we usually like to do a brief catch-up you know, at the beginning of each episode. So how are you two lovely gentlemen? <laughs> Doing good. I just want to add to the end of that little statement, and we always put out. <laughs> <laughs> well. You're welcome. <laughs> oh, goodness. Um, you know, it's been a real it's been a real weird week, but um I'm doing pretty good, I I have to say, all things considered. Hmm. Can't really complain too much. Just sort of waiting for all of the Republicans to kick off the apocalypse because they can't stay in their damn houses. All these fucking Karens have to, you know, I need my hair done. What we need need is an army of drag queens to go out and just snatch them all ball-headed and then they don't need to worry about having their hair done. (laughs) Problem solved. Yeah, yeah. It's one way to fix the problem. <laughs> I mean, seems like a good what one to me. <laughs> I'm doing okay, actually. Like, you know, this is our uh, the be- we're entering or we're in the tenth week of uh, sheltering in here in New York. So it's been officially ten. It's been nine full weeks, but this is the beginning of the tenth week. And I don't know. I guess like when someone mentioned that to me, it kind of just give. And I feel like really inspired to do something. I feel I'm feeling really creative right now. Like lots of creative vibes, lots of channeling vibes. So I've been um 
I don't know, feeling a little crafty, um, maybe tackling projects like organizing my tarot cards I have never done, you know, and things like that. So I don't know. I'm actually feeling pretty juiced up, <laughs> you know, and inspired. You know, I'm surprised that Virgo brain of yours isn't like, oh, my gosh, I can do this, I can do that. Why, why haven't I done this? Why haven't I done that? Well, oh, yeah. No, I mean, come on. The judgment's there, too. <laughs> I mean, I was trying to stay positive, Michael, but now that you prompted me, yes, the first thing that occurred to me was, like, what have I been doing for 10 weeks, you know? And why haven't I conquered the world yet? And But, you know, I'm trying to be more gentle with myself, and I'm trying to focus on being a nicer person. But thank you, Michael, for bringing me back into my, my true form. <laughs> uh, I love you. The reason the reason that our Virgo brains have not allowed us to take over the world yet is because we've been sleeping, girl. Yes, that's true. These these trifling people are tiring, and we have been sleeping. (laughs) I know. For anyone that has a Virgo in their life, just you know, show gratitude because it's tough being us around you all sometimes. (laughs) My lord, tell me about it. And we still smile through it because we've learned to adapt to this world. But, you know, it's not always easy. <laughs> no, You're welcome, no, Michael. That's true. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I have to deal with two of y'all. Oh, well. <laughs> Anyways. Every day that we don't murder the general populace is a good day. That's so true. Uh, that is true, especially coming from you, Chase. Hey, that is just very ask, true. Just, just ask Billy. <laughs> oh, I, I know, I know. Um, I, I've been, I've been pretty good. Last week, I was actually, yeah, was it last? Yeah, it was last week. Uh, last week was my first time having to do like actual, real shelter at home type thing, mm. actual quarantine. One of my coworkers wasn't feeling well and had to go get tested for COVID. It came back negative, but we were. The store was closed for about four and a half days, four or five days. And, oh, my God, it was fantastic not having to deal with people. Because, you know, when all, of, when all of this started, nothing really changed for my daily activities. Mm. And I had someone who was like, well, are you worried that you have it? And I kind of stopped for a second. I was like, no, actually, I have been so stressed out about catching like something from all these people coming into my store, you know, or since we started the shelter at home and whatnot back in March, I was like, no, actually I'm not worried at all. Cause you know, I've been worried for like two months. So yeah. It's a strange time. Other, yeah. Other than that, you know, I hate my job and, <laughs> looking looking for new employment. So Yeah. That's <laughs> in me. I tell you, I had the funniest conversation with my mom the other day about all this. She was like, you know, all those years that everybody made fun of me for being the lady that carried hand sanitizer in her purse everywhere she went and you know, that I excessively wash my hands all the time. Nobody's laughing now. I'm the only one who has an hand sanitizer. Hmm. <laughs> All the germaphobes are now like the pinnacle of this is what you should be. Right. Pretty much. <sighs> Goodness. Moving gaily forward. 
Yes, yes. Let's speaking of health. Yeah. <laughs> yes, speaking uh, of health, let's you know, move into today's topic. Tonight we are going to be talking about mental health and spirituality. Uh, if you didn't know, May is Mental Health Awareness Month. We mentioned it in our last episode when we were talking about how May was also uh, National Masturbation Month. Now we're, now we're going to, you know, they're, they're both kind of help, you know, masturbation does kind of help with, you know, getting your mind together. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so May is Mental Health Awareness Month. And joining us tonight for for a lovely conversation are two of our fellow initiates, Dan Toronto and Ryan Scott. Yay. So, Yay. So a little about a little bit a little bit about our two guests. Uh, Dan, who uses he and him pronouns, is a clinical social worker who has worked in adolescent mental health for over 17 years. He is a brother of the Unnamed Path. He was initiated in 2017, and is also a sister of Perpetual Indulgence, who has worked who oh, who was black veiled in 2013. His life mission is to create a community of connection by showing up, speaking his truth from his heart, and asking for help. And Ryan, uh, Ryan is a non-binary queer person who has recently begun using they, them pronouns uh, and has been exploring radical identity and spirituality since their early uh, 20s. While that journey has involved enculturation as a gay male, for much of their early life, their experiences has always been foregrounded by deep interest in expressing and celebrating their own queerness and discovering their inherent magic that has come out of liminal being. Ryan became a member of the Order of Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence in San Francisco in 2003. As a sister, they have had a great joy of being exposed to it, at least peripherally, to a brilliant tapestry of varying intentional communities including several pagan and magical paths. In March 2018, after what seemed like a lifetime of seeking, they were able to access a formal spiritual magical initiation with the unnamed path. While still fairly new to the tradition, they are deeply enjoying the sense of community and exploration that is part of the Portland Working Group of the Brothers. In their secular life, Ryan is a licensed professional counselor and gender-affirming therapist and works in both private practice and in community mental health. When they are the current clinical supervisor for Brave Space, a counseling center devoted to supporting a transgender, non-binary, and other gender expansive individuals. In keeping with their drive to effect systematic change, Ryan provides graduate level training for emerging clinicians looking, for, looking to provide gender affirming therapies in the Portland area. All right, then let's bring our brothers on. Hello. Hi, Michael. Welcome. Thanks for having us. Well, thank you for agreeing to be on the show with us. Yeah, no problem. So, brief disclaimer, though our guests are licensed uh, clinicians, we are, not, we are not licensed psychologists or mental health experts. All statements and opinions are those of the individual stating them and should not be taken as medical advice. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) So, like I was saying, May is Mental Health Awareness Month. Why is this something that's important? 
I know when we were, you know, when we were planning our lineup of episodes for uh, this current cycle, uh, Chase, you pitched this uh, subject. Why was this something you wanted to cover? Well, me especially, it's been a lifelong struggle. And um, I know that it is something that gets discussed um, in many new age or pagan spiritual paths and um, gatherings. And oftentimes there is a lot of stigma around the discussion of it, which does nobody any good. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of... There's a lot of misconceptions and stigma that really need to be addressed, if not outright eradicated, around the topic. And one of the only ways that that happens is by talking about it. So, Ryan and Dan, as counselors, how what, – what is your take on this? How important is it to bring attention to you know, this awareness month or just to mental health stigma – in general, um, whichever one of you would like to, you know, go first. I can go first. I, I think stigma is still a really big issue in the mental health community and, and most minority communities in general. Um, I think that like Chase is saying, I think we have to, you know, get open and honest about the prevalence of mental health conditions in the United States, and we've got to talk about it, you know. I think that we've all grown up with this idea that, you know, you're supposed to just handle it all yourself, you know, you're supposed to just take care of yourself perfectly, and and I think that a lot of people avoid getting treatment and support mostly because they don't know what to do. You know, most people you know, we have this weird kind of idea, you go to a therapist and you just get better, right? Nobody really talks about not only just the prevalence of depression and anxiety, which I mean, is really high, especially in the queer community. I mean, I I think it was the National Institute of Mental Health, I think, was saying it's easily close to 10% of the US population, especially in minority communities, experience depression. So one in 10 people are depressed and don't know what to do about it. You know, we're just told, oh, you just, you know, eat right and sleep well and you'll get better or you go to a therapist. Right. So I just I think talking about mental health is super important. And how do you how do you have, you know, healthy mental health? You know, I wish that they actually taught that more in schools. You know, it would be great. It's it's really a life skill, and I think we could all use more tips and tricks. <laughs> yeah, can I just add on to that? Um, and, Michael, I would just say, like, sorry for the long, lengthy bio. I'm a Gemini, and I love words. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've, been, I've been actually thinking about, you know, some of the the depression that people are experiencing right now from a frame of internalized shame and the way we all kind of hide and have been asked to hide in the world. And, you know, it occurs to me that um, I love the kind of sunshine effect of us just being open and honest about our struggles. 
And I think so often we show up in community and it actually feels more like pseudo community because we have to put on a good face or we have to be sassy or we have to be high energy. And what ends up happening is people are really masking how much they're hurting. And what I, I strive to do, you know, in my various communities is, is be able to show up as transparent as possible to at least create a space, not only for me to get support, but so that other people can be honest about what's not working and what it's like for them to be stuck at home uh, in their apartments by themselves right now. Um, and I just think it creates a sense of we're in this together and um, we can start plugging each other into resources and it's just really helpful. Mm-hmm. Well said. Well, because I, and I agree with what Ryan's saying, I just think vulnerability is magic. You know, th- this idea of we're taught that we're supposed to hide, kind of repress and deny these problems. But I agree, it's it's the unveiling, it's the letting go, it's it's taking that small risk, which is so important. You know, to, to free ourselves allows others to feel free. So I think that just back to the original question, it, yeah, that's why we've got to talk about it. We've got to talk about mental health and combat the stigma. So... And this, and this question is kind of to all of us right now. You know, with you know, we mentioned sheltering at home earlier, and everything that's been going on in this uh, COVID nineteen era. How have you been taking care of your mental health right now? You know, how have you been handling the isolation? Like uh, Ryan uh, mentioned earlier, this isolation is. You know, it's affecting all of us differently. And if you remember in the news a while back, there were they had reported on individuals who, because of this isolation, had unfortunately taken their own lives. Mm-hmm. So, you know, how how have you how has everyone been taking care of themselves mentally right now during uh, COVID nineteen? That's a tricky question. Um, I think the first couple of weeks I, I deemed this time shutting down my extrovert because <laughs> I, I really love people a lot and I like to connect and, um, and I have things over at um, our house all the time. And so a lot of that was kind of a withdrawal <laughs> of, of that connection. Um, and w- w- what I did to really, shift my perspective was I focused more on just the day. I find that the more out there I get, meaning more, you know, even community oriented or global oriented, I get the more anxious I can get. And so I really tried to just focus on what am I doing today? And I really wouldn't let myself stray much beyond that. And that helped a lot. But I definitely cried. I definitely, um, I kind of let myself feel the feelings. I think it's so tempting when we get in these tense places um, to avoid, right? Avoid the feelings. I mean, we could talk forever about drugs and alcohol in the queer community. Um, but uh, I, I, I think that was the big thing was really trying to stay as present as possible and, and just feel the feelings knowing that they wouldn't last forever. 
And so I'm kind of on this path now after those two weeks of I kind of have a crappy week and then I have kind of a okay week. So, so what am I doing? I guess is the question is really just trying to stay present and really um, focus on where I can control things, <laughs> even though we, we all know control is kind of an illusion, but <laughs> where I have a little more immediate impact, I guess. Yeah, I, I would just say um, that I, you know, I keep such a close watch on my mental health because I'm doing therapy all day with folks. And there's something really beautiful in that process where something's happening for the person in front of you. And somehow it evokes or it mirrors something that's going on inside. And I used to just have these really lovely decompressions coming home from work, you know, my drive home. I just got to reflect on my own stuff and kind of get back to the organizing process of putting things in the right boxes. And now that I don't leave, now that I don't have all those little rituals, I've been really relying on my housemates. And I'm really blessed. I live with a, <clears throat> another sister, Sister Dawn of a New Day. Um, and we just created a little culture where at the end of the day, we kind of do our own reviewing and checking in with each other. Um, and that's the relational piece for me that keeps me from feeling isolated, which is one of my big Achilles heels. I think as I get impacted, I tend to want to go away um, and hide a bit and to just make sure that I'm staying in contact with folks. Um, like Dan, I try to do a lot of community centric work, which is really hard right now because it's all view screens and email and chat. Um, and the whole purpose of doing that work in the beginning was to be in community with folks. Um, so some of that's feeling emptier than it used to, but I'm still keeping it up because it's such a, you know, even if it's not the salient point of contact I want, it is contact. Mm -hmm. um, and it helps me to regulate. It helps me keep the big picture. Um, and one of the things I've been seeing people do is I think we're all sitting in this and um, I see folks wanting to make big changes, right? Like they're kind of like responding to and freaking out and, you know, like it's a time to like break up with a partner or move, or, you know, whatever it is. It, um, and I really cautioning folks to really um, slow that down because um, maybe it's more a time, more of a time to look at the smaller processes that make up a life. Mm -hmm. um, and I think what's really clear is people's coping strategies just don't work, right? So being asked to sit and stuff in a way that we never did before, or if we're really moving into like, you know, 80% screen time, we're so aware that that's happening. Um, and I think all that stuff is not very comfortable. I agree completely. Like I, I was talking with a couple coworkers and it, it feels like we're magnified in our present right now, right? Like one of my breakdowns was about, I have nothing to look forward to. <laughs> and so like, I agree with what Ryan's saying. You have to like become more aware of the process that you're in, you know, take that half step back and get your analytical or reasoning brain going and go, huh, how do I want to respond to this? Not react, right? Not necessarily an emotional response, but more of a a reasoned response. And it's it's so important to to just recognize where we're at in this whole thing, you know. And I just think it's a magnified present, you know. There's just not much to look forward to. 
And I think that gets hard for people, especially if their past wasn't very great, right? It can also really, like when we're alone, it can really magnify our past. And I think that's why you're seeing a lot more people potentially turn to suicide because this is a hard time, definitely. I have to say, listening to both of you, I'm like, oh my God, this is exactly what I'm going through right now. <laughs> because, <laughs> because kind of like what Ryan was saying, you know, people are wanting to make these huge, uh, like, jumps in certain directions and whatnot. And I've actually, like, I have been toying around with the idea of moving states again recently mm-hmm. and that there's all sorts of things connected to it but one of them was you know i have nothing here i have something in another state that i really want to be doing but you know i it, it has taken you know lots of practice to be like wait a minute am, am i just wanting to make a giant leap and not think this process through mm-hmm. and yeah, accepting the react one. right yeah, getting our feelings and just want to move. <laughs> yes, but yeah, oh my gosh, definitely. Um, and you know, uh, uh, Chase, uh, Chris, I know we've talked in the past about how we've been handling um, the whole you know COVID nineteen situation, but you know, can y'all share you know how you've been handling your mental health like in this era? Yeah, totally. I mean, I'm I'm really fortunate in that, you know, I'm still employed. I'm still able to continue my antidepressant, which is super helpful. Um, and I am the the biggest obstacle that I've found right now is that because my day and nights are so not quite turned around, but just inconsistent, I suppose. Um, the hardest part for me has actually been remembering to take my medication on time. Um, if my schedule gets disrupted in some way, I very well might forget to take a pill. Um, and then I get to do things like have migraines um, or other stuff, which not not fun and not helpful. Uh, also, having brain fog for the next, you know, 24 to 48 hours after you do that is also not great. Um, so I do a lot of meditative work still. Um, you know, I've been I've been fortunate enough to be able to recapture some of my uh, spiritual work that had fallen by the wayside somewhat in the past. Um, and so that sort of been a lot, but mostly, you know, to perfectly honest, I do my, and a lot of days, I come home and play World of Warcraft, and that's all I've got the spoons to do. Um, you know, just there's days when I just don't feel like doing much, don't feel like cooking, don't feel like cleaning, don't feel like taking care of things. I'm just like, you know what? I made it through today. And now I'm going to have some me time because that's all I can do. I'm just extra, extra glad right now that I have medication to help through this. Lord mm. have mercy. Just to respond to what Chase was saying, I I think it is important to have grace for ourselves, right? Just to like, if that's all the spoons you have is just going to work and then zoning out, like cut the middleman out, right? Cut the shame out of that can really help our mental health. 
because it's so easy to judge ourselves and get into this sort of negative thought spiral. And if you can cut that out and just say, you know what, this is all I have the spoons for and be okay with that, that will help a lot. Oh, yeah. Agreed. <laughs> yeah, I think I, I, I agree with what Dan just said. I'm pretty sure I missed the first part of it, but <laughs> um, sorry about that. As you all know, I, I have been working and not just working from home, but actually going to work uh, physically. So I think in many ways, I don't know, I was kind of caught in this bit of a thought spiral, of course, you know, just um, there's that pressure to stay positive and the pressure to be grateful for what you have, right? Um, so there was definitely part of me that was just, I don't know, I, I think just um, kind of coasting on that kind of a wavelength. Um, but, you know, I, I, one of my early insights about this pandemic, especially in our country, especially with our current leadership, um, was I feel like the there was a large revealing of, like, what's not working. There was, like, the sense of, like, what's not working is being, like, unveiled, you know, and being very, very visible and highlighted. And um, I don't know, I guess I realized that um, a lot of my, uh, I think Ryan and Daniel, you mentioned it before about coping mechanisms and just being confronted by that, right, about what mm-hmm. um, we're doing and what's not working. Yeah, so I, I just remember, especially, um, you know, being in New York and the, the body counts being like in the hundreds to thousands every every day, like literally every day, it was just kind of this, um, I don't know, it, it just became very evident to me that I was not okay, you know, and that, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> uh, and, you know, it took me, you know, as, you know, hindsight, looking back, you just think it's like so obvious, but it took me a minute to admit that right it took me like a minute to admit that I was not okay and then also to really embrace that it's okay that I'm not okay you know mm-hmm. and that took um it took a while you know especially because like I mean for myself but I feel like for a lot of folks in our community I think for a lot of uh, men are socialized this way um and I think like like, you know, the POC community is socialized this way. I think being queer often mm-hmm. um, manifests in this way as, like, just kind of showing that okayness or showing that um, willing to deal with the shit that's dealt to you. And, you know, and it's seen as, like, an admirable quality or as strength. But really, um, you know, Dan, what you said about vulnerability is magic. You know, I think that, you know, I, it's beautiful to say that, right? I've... I've, I've um, I don't know. I'm kind of rambling now, but I think that that for me, um, to answer the question, like, I think initially I I dealt with it very badly, you know. Even though I trying to use mechanisms that I've had in place that clearly weren't working, you know. Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah, I think I think really for me the first thing that I had to do was to find awareness around around that and to create space for for not looking good (laughs) during this pandemic and not you know not being okay all the time um even in my in my service right even as a as i um serve my patients even as i serve my community yeah and ever since i've kind of accepted that um there's been a shift you know there's even been like empathy 
like I had space for empathy for folks that were, even though I do eye roll my, you know, I'm not saying I'm not eye rolling at them, but it, you know, there was empathy for folks that were demanding that sheltering in ends right now. Right. <laughs> and even like empathy for folks that, um, really are hurting, right? They're, they're hurting because, uh, obviously if, you know, I, I think a lot of medical professionals, especially were kind of, um, sharing the message of like, listen, stay home or you die. Right. It was just, this kind of like, nothing's worse than death kind of a message. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, sometimes it doesn't feel like that. Right. Sometimes it feels like some things are worse than death. So I think, um, Yeah. So far, those are my two major takeaways is just realizing that a lot is not working and also just kind of having compassion for folks that are also not dealing with it well, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Even as I judge them silently. <laughs> um. <laughs> if not us, then who? <laughs> it's true. Yeah. Ryan and Dan, you know, you, you both you know, work with different aspects of mental health have you seen like you know obviously you don't please don't go into details but have you seen an uptick in people who are having mental health issues because of COVID-19 yeah Dan you take it first I know you've got a really specific environment (laughs) I have a very specific environment to talk about this so um so I work at a hospital as well. I'm an essential worker too, like Chris is. I'm going in every day. And um, I work on an adolescent psychiatry unit. So um, I'm basically seeing the most acute patients. And most of them, I'd say at least 50% that come in contact with me have committed suicide or are very close to it. So have I seen an uptick? I can actually talk quite a bit about this. Um <laughs> it's interesting because the first two weeks of shelter in place, our census, we we can have 22 kids on our unit. Our census dropped lower than it's ever been. It actually, we got down to, I think, nine patients, which is like unheard of in like March and April. Um, But after about two to three weeks, we started to see a really big uptick. Um, And yeah, a lot of kids that are coming in are citing um, the quarantine as a trigger. And it's no surprise, right? We're like socialized creatures. I mean, especially as we're younger, right? We're probably the most social in our lifetime. Um, And yeah, I see a lot of extroverted kids coming in really kind of losing their shit. (laughs) Because I mean, I, I can relate. I'm very extroverted too. And you know, it, it, like you guys all touched on, when you when, when you have so many of your self-care routines woven into your daily structure, right, your daily routine, and that disappears, <laughs> and then you don't have access to your friends in person, and maybe you hate your parents because they're assholes, <laughs> um, you've just got three strikes against you now. <laughs> so we're definitely seeing a huge increase now. I mean, we're full now. Um, on the unit. Um, but it'll be interesting to see what happens this summer because we tend to have a dip in the summer um, because school's out, obviously a big trigger for a lot of kids. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if our numbers actually just flatten out this summer because kids haven't really had a lot of school, at least here in Oregon. 
mm-hmm. it's been all online. So um, it'll be interesting to see what happens in the future. Um, but yeah, a lot of kids citing the quarantine as an issue. Yeah, and, and I would just speak to, you know, <clears throat> this is an interesting lens to look at it through, but I do a lot of supervision. And what I'm finding is the emerging counselors I'm working with um, are reporting burnout, mm-hmm. depression, mm-hmm. some bad coping stuff, needing to take time off. <clears throat> and Me right now. <laughs> I know. I had, a, I had a really rich conversation today, and what they shared with me is that they have been holding the hope, right? They're holding the lens that things are going to get better. They're sitting with people all day long yeah. that are in these stuck places. Mm. And for a counselor, your worldview ends up carrying people for a little while. But if your worldview is impacted, you run out of mm-hmm. hope too. Yep. And so all of a sudden you're doing counseling for people and what's present for you is, oh God, my life is shit. <laughs> you know, yeah. or like, it's not going to be okay and you'll lose steam pretty quick. Mm-hmm. And what I've been reflecting on is that, and I just want to talk about depression for a second, if that's okay, mm-hmm. that what happens is we, we get in these kind of pervasive existential experiences and all of a sudden our life comes into focus in a really unhelpful way. It's like all of a sudden you wake up and you're in your, you're in your life and you're looking around and some of the thoughts that come up are like, this is my life. And what usually follows is some thoughts about what's missing or how hard it's been or what it means that this is my experience. And we're not too far down the road from really dark thoughts about, you know, this isn't going to be enough. This isn't going to work out. I'm not a good person. Whatever the case may be, it becomes really globalized really quick. Mm -hmm. And now we're in a depressive place. Now we're in that stuck place where, like, my life is just not good and I have no way out. Mm-hmm. And what, what I tell my clients is we have to be able to undifferentiate that a bit. We have to be able to take a step back mm-hmm. and realize that even though your emotions are saying that this is the totality of your experience, it's really not, right? There's an entire journey of how we got here. There's an entire story of your strength and resilience. There's all the little decisions you made to end up in the place that you're at. And not all of that is bad, even though the emotional part says this is awful. Mm -hmm. Um, And I got to tell you, that's like the slow, careful work of psychotherapy. (laughs) right? Like We're working with people every week over long periods of time to build that internal resourcing so that they can talk back to those really awful critics in their head and start to believe some beautiful things about themselves again and kind of find their way through that. And it's just hard to do, do via teletherapy. It's just hard to do when you're alone and stuck in your apartment. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I really wanted to communicate that because I want people to know that you're not alone in that experience, mm-hmm. that all of the counseling we're doing right now looks like that. Um, and that, you know, one of the things you can do is just realize that this does have a clock on it. Uh, and it's hard to see that from day to day, but there will be a time when something shifts and you can get back to living in a way that you uh, maybe is more aligned. 
Um, and there's probably really good data you're getting right now about how you want to fill your life up, right? So if you can stay more focused on the things you want to bring in versus the deficiency that you feel, um, it'll be more helpful. That right. Thank you so much for speaking to that. In fact. <laughs> yeah, seriously. <laughs> oh, goodness. I wanted to scream out, get out of my head, but, you know, was, I didn't want to break your flow. <laughs> I just feel so seen and experienced, but, um, yeah, thank you so much, Ryan. Seriously. You're welcome. Now, now the next section that, you know, I kind of wanted to uh, touch on, uh, unless uh, Chris or Chase, do you have any follow-up questions you have regarding this uh, with our wonderful speakers? Not really about any of this. Just kind of, again, just just kind of, again, from my own personal experience, echoing, you know, the importance of doing whatever you can, reaching out to whoever you can to try to get what support is available mm-hmm. in the moment. Like, you know, whatever you can do to, to make yourself feel a little less isolated. I actually have a question. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I imagine we have recommendations about like accessing like mental health professionals if if you haven't already, and like personally, I'm just um, in in the interest of like, um, sharing. Um, but I it's something that I'm exploring like not for the first time in my life, but like for the first time in a while. But I wonder like you know in both your experiences like especially with um, like we talk about a lot of like coping mechanisms being built into your social life. Uh, and maybe uh, the normal, <laughs> quote unquote, normal life from prior. Like, have you have you all noticed anything that um, was maybe a, a healthy way or an effective way of um, I don't know reestablishing some of um, maybe our routines or like? Do you have any suggestions around that? I mean, aside from um, what, what you just spoke about, Ryan, you know, just kind of acknowledging that. Um, some of those voices are not being truthful, right? It's actually, um, a, you know, not a truthful voice, but um, I don't know. Do you have any other suggestions on mechanisms that people can uh, adapt or establish since our others are not working? <laughs> yeah. Dan, do you want to take the lead on that? Um, well, piggybacking a little bit off what Ryan's saying is, it's not easy, but a lot of it is about getting out of our emotional mind, right? And getting more into that reasoning space, you know, and, mm-hmm. and trying to give yourself the facts, right? Like we all have kind of two trains of thoughts that are going on, right? We have these emotional thoughts like Ryan was talking about, about how my life isn't great. This isn't working. You know, what's the point anyway, or, this is awful, right? Those tend to be pretty emotion-based. But there's a lot of other thoughts that we can add into that story to give us a full picture, right? Like inviting ourselves to look at, well, where have I been successful in my life? How did I get to this moment? And what were the risks that I took that paid off, right? We, We have a huge shift potential there in looking at the positive instead of the negative. Um. And, and really, it's not about denying your feelings. I, I talk to that part of myself a lot. And, and it's really important to acknowledge the feeling part of ourselves, but we can't stay there forever. Because unfortunately, the emotional side of our brain doesn't really solve problems. 
You know, when was the last time that you were, you know, trying to make a decision and you go, gosh, I just wish I had some more feelings about this, <laughs> right? Like <laughs> feelings don't solve problems. They're really good at one thing, which is telling us how important a topic is. And so I'm not saying ignore your feelings, quite the opposite. We have to touch them, acknowledge them. So like I said, I speak to them a lot. I'll say, okay, Dan, I'm really feeling this heavy anxiety or, or sadness right now. And, and that, that's where it's important to have grace for ourselves, right? And say, okay, just feel the feeling, but I can't stay here forever, right? What's next, right? We have to get into that reasoning mind and go, okay, what do I want out of this? You know, how can I solve this? And, and the fastest way I found to shift into that other kind of part of our brain is I asked myself, well, what are the facts here? Like, what do I know for sure? And so that's oftentimes what I do in those really stressful moments combined with obviously some deep breathing and, and really trying to take some space from whatever's triggering me or the stimuli for the moment. So that's, does that kind of answer the question? So good. I was just gonna say, Dan, I'm an emotional focus therapist, so (laughs) it's like you're totally right, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, and I do the painful thing of maybe making people sit in their emotions for hour long periods. Um, Oh, good. (laughs) Well, that's a desensitization, right? I mean, that's good over time, for sure. But you know, I. I did want to say this is going to sound so simple to folks, but it, it, I cannot stress it enough. It's that so many of us carry this wound about whether to be in the world or not in the world, mm-hmm. right? Like, especially as queer folk, the, the systemic oppression that we've overcome to, to be present and take up space um, always foregrounds this, you know, this sense that, like, we don't belong or I don't want to do this. This isn't a world that will support that will support me. And so I tell my folks, right? Like, if you put a little structure into your space, whether it's like you get up and you make your bed, you take a shower every couple of days. Like in in the absence of structure, we're going to fall into that sense that we're just not a part of. Mm-hmm. And if we start putting little things in place that say, yeah, I've got an agenda for the day, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Like there are some things I want to tackle and I'm going to attend to myself. Um, it keeps you a lot closer to being in the world than, you know, in the ball under the blankets on the couch, which can be a real departure from the world. Um, and what we want to do is just minimize the amount of distance it takes for you to connect be present and you know like be a part of versus being so removed that the journey back feels too hard mm-hmm. yeah I totally want to piggyback off that too because I see a lot of folks who are starting to experience depression anxiety maybe even for the first time in their life the the tendency to want to isolate and avoid just feeds it I often think of depression and anxiety as, as actually living creatures or things and they want to stay alive, right? They want to be fed. 
And so <laughs> a lot of times you have to do opposite action. You have to go against some of those feelings because they keep the cycle going, right? Just like what Ryan's saying, you may feel so depressed and down or anxious that you're like, I don't even want to fucking shower today, but you have to shower today, right? Like you have to, because the more that we inhibit our space or, or express in some way, the more that we take up space and it becomes easier to say, you know what, depression or anxiety, fuck you. Like I'm not into you today, but the more you flow (laughs) with the avoidance, the isolation and drugs and alcohol too is a huge component of that. Um, The more it just spins those emotional cycles. Oh goodness. Hmm. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Going forward a little bit, uh, you know, one of the topics we had wanted to talk about uh, today was, you know, what are some of the common, you know, faux pas we see people do in regards to mental health, you know, either, you know, as just in general, the whole community, you know, among uh, queer individuals, even among pagans, like what are some, what would you say are probably some of the most common uh, faux pas or even uncommon ones? You know, I'd love to hear some uncommon ones, but uh, uh, Ryan and uh, Dan first, and then you know Chase and Chris. If y'all have any that they don't mention, I'd love to hear them. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like I <clears throat> I touched on a lot of the, the points I wanted to around this, but um, for me, it's it's the avoidance of that's often the killer, mm-hmm. right? It's it's this idea that that thing is too painful, so instead I'm going to do all these other things instead. And the reality is that you won't be able to enjoy your video game under your blanket and stone if what you're doing is actually avoiding something that really needs attending to. Mm-hmm. And, and what happens is, is we rob ourselves of the energy of actually relaxing. Mm-hmm. We rob ourselves of the energy of actually being able to just do something creative because instead it's avoidance and we are smart enough and aware enough to know that that's happening. And so what I tell my folks is do the thing a little bit, do the dishes, right? Like submit that really scary form online Mm -hmm. and then give yourself permission to go rest. Then give yourself permission to do nothing and just be, and you will actually be able to decompress and you'll actually have some good feelings for having done a thing. Mm-hmm. But so many of us were not shown how to adult. We had parents that did not do this in a way that we could trust. So we weren't able to internally kind of grasp that voice that will talk us through it. And we end up having to do that for ourselves, or we try to get that voice from community and communities hurt. So we can't give it to us. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what I see a lot of people do is spending their whole day not feeling good, trying to just do anything to self-soothe, but that's not even giving them the rest. Um, Yeah, I mean, it's not glamorous, but um, I feel like we're all really impacted right now and we deserve to rest and we deserve to be with um, any of the little things that will make this feel better. But in order to let that stuff land, you have to do a little work. 
Mm-hmm. I think that's really well said. I say something pretty similar, just different words. What I talk a lot with my folks about is in order to really heal, you have to take a risk, right? Like similar to the opposite action I was talking about earlier, right? These, this depression and anxiety wants to stay alive. And so you have to, you have to express or you have to go do the thing you don't want to do because in that process, of doing the scary thing and not dying, right? Succeeding to some degree, we've essentially owned that we have power in that moment, right? Mm -hmm. We did something for ourselves, And um, I think, yeah, like as queer people, we're really good at hiding. Like we're really good at avoiding, right? Because that's probably what kept us alive, a lot of us. (laughs) Oh my God. So we have to kind of like double down on this opposite action thing. We kind of have to double down on taking these small risks um, because that's the self-esteem and that's the self-love and the self-trust that's often missing. And why so many people, I think, end up giving their trust to the wrong people, right? Whether like Ryan said it's in community or, you know, they do risks in the wrong ways, quote unquote, wrong way. (laughs) because they haven't learned to trust themselves, right? That, that self-love and that self-esteem isn't there. Um, and so, yeah, you've really got to slow down and you've really got to take that small risk to do the thing that maybe is scaring you the most. And then, yeah, totally give yourself permission to recharge and get some spoons back because it's going to be scary, right? changes pain is a great motivator for change you know my mom used to say this all the time if if you're not feeling enough pain you're probably not going to (laughs) change thanks dark god Uh, i was about to say (laughs) hey that's Mm -hmm. definitely one he likes to use from time to time Right. Are you in it? Are you in enough pain yet? No. Okay. Keep spinning the wheel. <laughs> yep. I'll be here all day. Mm-hmm. Can Can I just speak to the community piece for a second? Um, of course. And yeah. I, you know, I would just say that we're like, there's this idea that we're checking in on each other, and I would really challenge everybody to honestly look at what that, the quality of what that looks like. You know, there's like the chat with somebody, there's the quick call, but then there's the really like, how are you doing? Where we really slow down for each other right now and open up some space so that people can connect and actually share the scary parts or, um, you know, even the avoidance piece. Um, Like I'm doing so much counseling around dynamics in people's households because hurt people are just stuck together (laughs) right now. And it's, it's not great. Um, And what a lot of these folks need is the outside good friend who will actually like not just chat them up, but give them a chance to process what's happening as a different point of connection. And that's hard because nobody has any spoons. So it's like, I don't even know if I can slow down for you to really hear you. And yet that is, the level of connection that we're all needing right now 
Mm-hmm. And I think if we all lean into that a little bit more, we may make it through this thing with a different sense of what community is, is my hope. Mm-hmm. Amen. That'd, yeah, it's beautiful. That'd, that'd be nice, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah. Take a risk. <laughs> ugh, feelings are, feelings are, ugh, though. Why do I have to feel things? Do I have to? <laughs> Otherwise, is the other way working? <laughs> <laughs> I say th- I I say this largely for the I say this largely for people who will be listening to this later because these <laughs> these two especially know you know my issues and struggles because they've been quite wonderful <laughs> and helpful in getting me to like take charge of my shit and actually like do something to fix myself. Mm-hmm. So and look at all the levels you gained. I know, right? <laughs> it's true. It's true. Uh, Chase or Chris, do you I have had good, I had good trainers. Add? What can I say? <laughs> <laughs> good um, <laughs> yeah, thank you for that reminder, Ryan, about um, like really being. I don't know. I guess I think of it as being a good neighbor, but like really um, checking in, but really checking in, right? And um, mm-hmm. also being honest about do you have the spoons to do that even, right? And, mm-hmm. um, and maybe, I don't know, I guess, I'm not sure if you're saying this, but maybe I'm just um, saying uh, if you don't have the spoons, maybe it's almost better not to, right? Or I don't know, but um, or just being honest about your current spoon levels when doing that work, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Yep. No, thank you. <laughs> I know. Uh, I guess um, speaking about like common faux pas, I feel like, you know, it's interesting. I feel like people are becoming better and better about this, but there's still that faux pas about depression just being a, a mood thing, you know, mm-hmm. and this idea of like, oh, snap out of it or just think positive or just um, mm-hmm. although like we, we did discuss today about like focusing on what's effective. Right. So um, mm-hmm. it's which is different from this common advice quote-unquote that's given around depression it being like um just kind of like um almost like uh like an i don't know just um emo uh artificial thing right so that's one faux pas that i've i feel like i definitely still see but all the i feel like people are getting better about uh at least knowing that it's not cool to say that anymore you know Mm -hmm. um cheer up get some sunshine right (laughs) Yeah. I mean, getting sunshine is great, right? And like doing all these other things are great, but that being the solution to depression is maybe not a healthy pathway, right? Short-sighted, yeah. Yeah, a little short-sighted. I don't know. I guess, you know, other faux pas I see, um, I guess it's implied, but uh, this idea of like mental health being, I don't know, contagious, right? <laughs> Issues with mm-hmm. um or just uh, being like, um, maybe that contagious isn't the right word, but I, I definitely feel like there's this um, idea that um, being around uh, depressed people makes you depressed, you know? Mm-hmm. Or probably you, Chase, any little uh, pause you want to throw on the table? I mean, you know, to some extent, yes, if you are constantly surrounded, this is more for people who already have issues with depression. Hanging around with people who also are depressed, but not just are depressed, but are also not doing anything about it, does not Mm -hmm. help 
does not help your mental state. It it just does not. Um, I don't think that that's to me at least. I don't think that's necessarily as much of a faux pas. But definitely, you know, I see and have seen a lot of the idea around, you know, oh, um, we must avoid people who are negative or depressed because they will make us so. And it's like, well, not necessarily. Maybe, I don't know, use your brain and figure out, like, is the reason that this person is depressed and angry or depressed and, you know, negative because they're feeling isolated and because they're, you know, not able to have any sort of support or community engagement, you know, that's a real easy fix. Mm-hmm. Be around, you know, be around, be available to the extent that you're capable of. If they're, you know, if they clearly have some other uh, issues, then yeah, sure. Be like, mm, nope, sorry, can't be around you. Um you know, I see in our communities a lot still, still, and this is the one I think that really gets me, is the whole idea that you're going to cure your depression with sunshine and essential oils, <laughs> or that you're, um, you are somehow um, failing, or that you are somehow not spiritual if you are treating depression, especially but really any mental condition with medication instead mm-hmm. of meditation, sunshine, essential oils, and woo-woo. You know, I am a big believer in woo. Um, you know, I know that a lot, of the, a lot of the people in Portland and a lot of my friends, you know, all over the place can tell you that I am a firm believer in my, you know, anti-upper respiratory crud tea. However, comma... I'm also going to go to the doctor and get antibiotics. You know, I'm not, I'm, I am a believer in magic. I'm a big practitioner of magic, but also I'm going to do physical things to help make that happen. And the idea that like someone is somehow less spiritual or not trusting in their own magical abilities because they went to a doctor to be prescribed something to give their brain serotonin is just, extremely angry making <laughs> mm-hmm. it's so angry making hey so i'm so glad you said that i you know I, I was actually just thinking that me and dan are talking a lot about the the maintenance of mental health work the labor of keeping your mind organized and and working through some of this stuff whether it's emotional or cognitive but for a lot of folks, there is a lot of really good underlying reasons that they're struggling from depression. And mm-hmm. uh, psychopharmacology has come a long way. Right? Mm-hmm. And so I'll tell you right now, 60% of my practice um, is getting medication support. And um, a lot of people are doing a lot better just by getting some help. Mm-hmm. So you're right. We need to take the stigma off of that part of stuff. Um, because you don't have to white knuckle through mental health in the way you used to have to. Mm-hmm. Well, and it fits, nice, it fits nicely into, you know, taking that risk, right? And, you know, doing something about it, you know, even in Chris's original story about how he's been doing, the first half is just realizing there's a problem, right? Mm-hmm. Just recognizing, oh my gosh, I'm not functioning well. And then not shaming yourself for that. 
right? There are a lot of things that you can do to help yourself, and medications should definitely be on the table. Now, is it going to solve all the problems? Probably not. 50%? Yeah, maybe. But um, I think it should definitely be on the table as mm. a tool, you know? Just like so many of the tools that are handed to us, you know, they can't solve all the problems, but that's why you have a toolbox. So you have multiple options. Yeah. I mean, I know for my, I know for myself that medication has been really instrumental in me being able to function again. Um, And I don't think I would be able to function half as well as I have been in the last six months if I didn't have it, Um, Mm -hmm. you know, and uh, it it has gotten me to a place where I am able to actively engage my spirituality again, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, which as much as I love our gods, as much as I love our path and love dealing with the the spirits and the entities that I deal with on a day to day, um, you know, when I'm in that really deeply depressed place, I just can't. I don't have it. Don't have it within me. And, you know, that sucks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, not to not to make light, but it just it does. It really sucks. It sucks mm-hmm. to feel so helpless and powerless when you're in that space that you're like, I really more than anything else in the world would love to be able to do a journey to go visit with my gods, but I just don't want to like Mm -hmm. i I can't physically bring myself to do it you know i would love to be doing magical work right now but like the idea of going through and setting up for any kind of ritual just makes me want to like dig myself into a hole that's not a great place to that's not a great place to be in it's not a great place to feel um you know and being able to take steps to remedy that I think has been really amazing for me, at least. Um, you know, I do not think certainly that, you know, the medication that I am taking is a, you know, silver bullet to fix all of my problems, but Uh I will say that it has definitely given me a leg up. It's given me at least a way to be at some kind of baseline so that I Uh can take steps to do that. Exactly. Mm. Well, and you had to take a risk to do it. Mm-hmm. To go yep. and own the process and get a doctor. I mean, it's like, those are all those little milestones too that help. It's both and, right? Mm-hmm. Just like initiation, right? Like the tool at the end of that exciting, you know, initiation, but all the little steps up to there is just as important. Hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, I'm actually reminded about, um, I'm not sure if we were categorized as a faux pas or, or maybe a stigma, but um, I'm, maybe like one other faux pas that I'm being reminded of is this idea of um, mental health or access to being uh, something of luxury or even like affluence or... You know what I mean? It's like it's almost mm-hmm. like, um, and I think what ties in with that too, with the intersectionality, is it becomes like a white thing, right? Like a, a, mm-hmm. a 
something that I see in my communities is like, oh, what? I, you know, I'm not going to a therapist. I'm not, you know, I'm not like a white person. You know, that's a white person thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not crazy. Right? Yeah. That's the other one. Oh, I'm not crazy. Right. Or I'm not crazy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or I'm fine. And I, I, I've even seen like, um, like, you know, some older folks that um, I, I always say that the old generation uh, are built a stronger stuff because I kind of do believe that to some extent, but I see sometimes the response to mental health things are very toxic. Right. And, it, um, mm-hmm. and it, it doesn't work. Right. Whether, um, you know, so I, it's, I'm wondering how much of that uh, you still see today. Is is mental health or access to still seen as like, I mean, we kind of spoke about the uh, mental health being weakness thing, but then is it still considered or seen as, um, I don't know, this privileged thing that you're not, I don't know, available to? (laughs) Have you encountered any of that? I mean, do you want the facts or, or do you want the emotional (laughs) <laughs> From you, Dan. I, think, I think I think factually like if you brought it down to facts it's yeah I mean I don't think it's really that difficult but I think if you're depressed it's extremely difficult right that's mm-hmm. where it gets tricky right like I mean I'm a trained therapist so I know the system well I know what to say and what to do and how to access things but that's almost a problem in and of itself, right? Like that I have to get a master's degree to be able to do that and navigate the mental health world is scary, but it's true. It's really hard to access care, but I don't really think it's necessarily from a financial perspective always, but from a spoons perspective, right? If you're really struggling already and you've gone through all the hoop jumps to own that there's a problem, and you're in our society, you're probably struggling quite a bit, right? That pain level's pretty high. And so now you're supposed to just magically have a bunch more spoons to get yourself a therapist, get yourself, you know, a, a primary care physician and walk into that office that in and of itself may have a little bit of mental health stigma, even in the medical community, right? Like that's a lot. So, so like from a financial perspective, like, yeah, you could probably go to a clinic if you have like organ health plan for free and the medicines are free, but the spoons ain't free. <laughs> the spoons to do all that is really hard. Mm. So I don't know. That's just my perspective. I don't, I don't think it costs a lot, but there is that sweet spot, right? There's, a, there's definitely cracks in our system where maybe you're not on like a, like a Medicaid or a Medicare and, you know, maybe you make just enough that you can't qualify for that, but not enough to really afford someone out of pocket. You know, I mean, therapy can be expensive. I mean, a PCP appointments probably, I mean, if you, if you have insurance, it's at least 25 bucks for the copay, if not more, the medicines, once you're on them, are pretty cheap. I mean, I think most of the antidepressants are generic at this point. So you're talking four to eight dollars a month. I mean, how? I mean, do you mind, Chase? How much does it cost for yours? Oh yeah, no, of course. Um, I, with my insurance, which is not the best insurance in the world, the stuff that I am on is, I believe, uh. I'm on Selexa and Trazodone mm-hmm. for sleep, and I think I pay mm-hmm. about a dollar thirty-three a month. Right. <laughs> so I, I, that's where it gets tricky, right? Like, 
I don't think it's super expensive at this point mm-hmm. for your basic antidepressants, but the cost emotionally can be very challenging. Oh, God. I mean, I was terrified going into the, that appointment to mm-hmm. just having my, just having my initial consult with that doctor. Like mm-hmm. I was terrified because I was acutely aware of the possibility that either she could hear me talk about the way that I am feeling and decide, nah, you don't need antidepressants. You're fine. Or, you know, be like, nah, we're going to do some other thing that's maybe not going to be as helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, or no, it just sounds like you're crazy. You know, all of those things going through your head while you're sitting in, sitting in the appointment, while you're talking to the doctor, you know, while you're sitting in the waiting room, that it mm-hmm. was, it was definitely, uh, it was definitely a scary experience. Once I was over and done with it, it was an enormous, you know, as though an enormous weight had been lifted from me. Um, you gained a level. I you took did. the risk. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, you know, and I will say I also did receive a lot of pushback, especially from from some friends and family about, you know, my choice to be put on antidepressants, you know, whether I thought that they were going to be, you know, a magic wand to make me never feel anything but happy ever again. Um, or, you know, that it was, it was some kind of weakness that I just needed to, mm-hmm. you know, knuckle up and deal with the fact that the world isn't a happy, fair place. Stigma. Yeah. I mean, and, you know, I think, I, I believe Chris, you brought this up where people, you know, talk about depression as being a like thing of emotions. Like it, it, depression means that you're sad. Oh girl, I wish depression meant that you were sad. Like, at least the way I experienced depression, the way I experienced depression is more like just feeling numb, Uh but not in the fun way. Like, you know, where you're like, where you've been drinking a little and you're feeling buzzed, right? And you're not, you're feeling no pain, right? Except that when you do that, you're usually feeling kind of good. Depression is more like, wow, I really wish that I could enjoy this piece of chocolate cake. But, you know, it just kind of tastes like cardboard. And, wow, you know, I'm hanging out with all of my friends, and everybody's having a whole lot of fun, and I'm sitting here feeling like I'm being boiled slowly in gray oatmeal. Like, no fun, no joy, no real deep, dark, sad place either, necessarily. Which would almost be welcome after, you know, spending months and months of, and months in sort of a gray fugue. It's mm-hmm. awful. It'd at least be a signpost, right? It'd be like, oh, there's something here. Yeah, you know, definitely. It's like, oh, wow, I'm feeling really sad right now. Oh, thank God I'm feeling something. Mm-hmm. Instead of just being like, oh, wow, this thing, you know, and th- to me, that was one of the big things in conversations with my doctor in conversations with, you know, friends and family, in conversations with the people who have helped me take charge of my own mental health, of, you know, I want to be able to enjoy things again. Mm-hmm. You know, I am, I am a insatiable armchair occultist. I love 
reading and thinking and talking about magic and the different ways that it works and the different paradigms. And that's something that historically brings me lots and lots of joy. And I purchased some books about things and just sat looking at them going, I really should read these. But fuck, I don't want to do any of that. I literally just want to come home and go to sleep. Mm-hmm. You know? And to me, I think that's one of the things that really was the biggest kick in the pants to do things was I want to be able to enjoy stuff again. I want to be able to be creative again and not just sort of sit and stare at a piece of paper for two hours before getting bored and going and watching TV. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I know that one of the things that I hear from people a lot and have heard from people a lot about, you know, being afraid of taking meds or going to therapy because they feel like their depression or their anxiety or whatever else is some sort of fuel for their creative process or that they're afraid that they won't be who they are or won't be themselves anymore. Mm-hmm. And to, for me, that was very much a case of like, yeah, but I know that I'm depressed and that that depression makes me irritable and unpleasant to be around. And I don't like that person. I don't want to be that person anymore. I'd like to be somebody else. Thanks. Mm-hmm. All of that, all of those things. <laughs> um, well, rant over. <laughs> all right. No, rant, rant is fine. Cause that was just, you have me over here thinking about a whole bunch of things now. Chase, thank you. Anyways, so, you know, kind, kind of going back up, you know, would you say, Dan and Ryan, would, would you, you know, I mean, you work with a whole, like, range of people. Would you say there's a big discrepancy between um, fighting stigma in mental health between, you know, queer and non-queer people? Like, is, I mean, obviously... Both sides can have issues, but do you think, you know, we as queer people face more issues in, you know, overcoming the stigmas related to mental health, or, you know, do you think, you know, non-queer people do? Or, like, are are there unique challenges to mental health for Mm -hmm. queer folks, right? Right. Yeah. Um, I would just say that a lot of the work that I do is around minority stress. Um. You know, first mm-hmm. and foremost, people tend to wait until they're in crisis to go into counseling. Um, please right. don't do that, yeah. right? Because <laughs> because when you come in in crisis, we're going to do crisis counseling, and we're going to do counseling for three to six months to stabilize before we get to get to any of the underlying hurt. Mm-hmm. And most queer trans folk in the world are coming in because they have been systemically abused, throughout most of their life. They've been chronically invalidated. Mm -hmm. They have had their identities um, completely not affirmed. Um, They've been asked to hide. They live in, you know, poverty. And so, yeah, they're coming in with a whole host of things that other people may not be experiencing, and it's almost a given. But you can't get to some of that underlying stuff um, until you, A, are with a therapist you trust, mm-hmm. 
And part of that trust work is to know that they're going to be able to see you correctly, mm-hmm. that they have enough at least empathy and or lived experience to know what it's like to reel from oppression mm-hmm. and to start to be able to give you a space to take up space and to be angry and to be hurt in a, in a way that the world has never letting you take up space. And so a lot of folks come in and it's a scarcity model, right? Like I'll take the first therapist that'll see me and please don't reject me. And you're never going to do deep work with that person. And the reality is, is it is a bit of a scarcity model. You know, like how many affirming therapists are in your community? You may have a handful. Mm -hmm. But if you're really committed to a lifelong journey of healing, um, one of the things we have to realize is that you are left holding the bag, right? Childhood, childhood wounds, systemic oppression, adult relationships, and relational trauma all of that stuff happens, and then you are the person who's asked to heal. Mm-hmm. Um, so realize it's not a quick journey, and you just get started, right? You just get started. And, you know, the folks that I see, I tend to see folks on a longer time frame. Some of my clients I've been seeing for two to three years. And the beautiful part of doing longer-term work is I also do a lot of identity work. So I get to see people come into themselves. And first and foremost, they showed up with panic attacks, depression, high suicidality, and close to crisis, because that's what gets people into counseling. But hey. once, we start to, once we start to stabilize, we're starting to do the beautiful work of identity formation. I see people start spiritual practice. I see people fight back with their family systems in a way that their families can hear. And I see them take up space in the world and start to exercise freedom in a way that they didn't get to before. And it's a lot of work, but really, really beautiful stuff. And if you're looking at the long-term journey of a life, taking a few years to do that work for yourself with somebody you trust, I think is um, a real gift. And I recognize that the environment for many folks is they don't have as much access to that as they deserve. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my again, I work with adolescents in a hospital. I mean, I've worked all levels of care actually at this point, except for the state hospital I went work there. But um, where I work currently, so I see kids age range nine to eighteen, and you know, I'm seeing kind of the most acute people possible for about two to four weeks, kind of range, sometimes a little longer. I'm seeing them for about anywhere from two to 10 sessions. And I've noticed a huge theme on our unit. I've worked on this adolescent psych unit for 12 years. There's always a higher portion of queer youth in our unit. So we have 22 beds and I can almost guarantee you if I went into work right now, of those 22, at least five to six are gender nonconforming, at least. Mm-hmm. And again, I'm in Oregon, so it's a little placeholder there. We tend to be pretty liberal here and kind of a little bit of a safe haven in a sense for the trans community because we are fairly liberal. But that tells me a lot, right? That tells me that 
you know, that people who are, you know, of a minority status are going to experience more mental health issues, right? Because like, like Ryan was saying, we're othered constantly, right? We're not affirmed, you know, and it goes beyond adolescence, right? I mean, we all struggled in adolescence just to figure out something about ourselves. And then when we find out that, oh, that's something that I might be isn't okay. Well, that's a double whammy, right? So, um, so yeah, I think there's no doubt that being a queer person um, affects your mental health more than, you know, common kind of straight ahead person. Um, But if you can convert that, right? Like Ryan was saying, we all have these childhood wounds, right? We, we, we all don't, nobody gets through adolescence unwounded, but if you can learn to heal those wounds, that's, that's a pretty big source of magic to me, right? If you can, if you can develop self-love and self-trust through that healing process, um, that's a lot of power. Right. Um, And I'll just be honest. That's kind of like how I've done so well in my life is, I mean, I had a lot of support, but I took a lot of risks and I did a lot of that healing early. And so I have pretty strong mental health because of it because I've learned to trust myself and I don't let the negative critical voice go very long. Um, But I think there's a lot of folks who are scared to do the work, right? I mean, it's scary stuff. And like Ryan said, it's, it's not easy. It's a long journey. Um, So, yeah, I mean, there's just no doubt in my mind that that queer, queer folks um, have a proclivity towards mental mental illness. And, you, you know, you both kind of, you know, touched a little bit on what I was going to, you know, segue us into next, where we're, all of us are obviously spiritual individuals. You know, we're all mm-hmm. rather initiates of our tradition. You know, how, how would you say one's mental health you know, or your mental health, you know, has affected your spiritual practice or vice versa, has your spiritual practice affected your mental health? I know Chase had mentioned uh, some stuff earlier, but, and, you know, kind of like, what would you say are some uh, do's and don'ts for those who are wanting to practice our tradition, you know, in regards to mental health? And maybe Chase, as a teacher, can speak to that in in a minute. Well, I, I, I guess for me, how quote-unquote spiritually connected I feel is almost a litmus test for how my mental health is. So, and Chase kind of said this similarly, right? Like if I'm really struggling in my day-to-day, it's harder for me to have the spoons to do journey work or to, you know, even just do, you know, a meditation. And so, I try and use that as a barometer for how I'm doing, right? As almost its own shield, right? Like how is my spiritual life going? Oh, it's struggling. Okay. Then that must mean that I'm struggling. So what can I do to help myself? So again, I flip to the the logic, right? Or the reasoning, what can I do to help myself get there? Right? Not, I don't go into that shame and guilt kind of experience. I see a lot of people do where like, Oh, I'm such an awful practitioner. What's wrong with me? Oh, maybe I'm not a spirit. You know, I don't go into all that. I just, I just kind of roll into the facts and go, well, what do I want to do about that? 
and maybe it's nothing, right? Maybe I'm just okay with not being as, you know, spiritually plugged in right then, you know, having that grace for myself. Um, but when I'm really on, like when I'm doing really well, I think that my spiritual practice helps me create a shield to bolster my mental health, you know? Um, I mean, that's one of the things the light God has really worked with me on a lot this last year is like, there's a lot of words that he's taught, taught me about in sigils and ways for me to weave some of my past learning with other initiations into current really healing practices for myself, which has been really cool. Um, yeah, so I guess, I guess it's kind of a barometer for how I'm doing. Does, does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. Totally. Yeah, I love that. I I was actually thinking that my work with um, I, you know, I'm a um a child of the light goddess, and the relationship Yay. I have, I know the relationship <laughs> I have with Mama is like. Can I just tell you, it's it is such a supportive experience for me, and I know that part of that stems from my own wound which is like I grew up in a household of a really caustic, um, really, uh, you know, like hard male figure. Mm. Um, And so I really internalized that inner critic really young in my life. And it's that voice in my head that really keeps me inhibited. It keeps me, you know, scared it keeps me wondering whether I have the goods all the time and for me the work with deity has been the supportive voice that I needed mm-hmm. right like I actually got to get out of my own process and be in relationship with you know something bigger than me someone bigger than me that could provide that internal voice of support and I, I lean on it all the time I lean on it in counseling Um, when I'm sitting in session and it's been a long day and I'm going in to do some trauma work, I literally get in communication with mama and I just ask for her to be present or to give me the energy I need to guide the person or be present. And just the fact that I have that as a resource, um, helps me all the time because the only other thing I'm left with is my own internal voice of support, which I got to tell you has come a long way. I've got a lot of confidence. Um, been doing this work a long time on myself, but I still feel exposed or get vulnerable or am overextended. And it's so nice to have another source to go to. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's honestly has been the biggest gift of this work for me. And the other mm-hmm. thing I'll say is I often like to view ritual as a way to change my reference. So if I'm struggling, I'll do some simple altar work, literally to kind of change my circumstances because it's just a reflection of my internal experience. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's really, really helpful for me. But there are also times when I'm so impacted that I don't have the spoons or the inspiration to grab the tool. Mm -hmm. Um, And those are the times I'm starting to pay more attention to. It's like the tool is going to help, but I don't have the energy to grab the tool. So what am I left with? Um, and learning to kind of craft some in-between spaces for myself to get me there. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that's as easy as just reaching out to my relationship with the DDs. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Chase, you. Uh... Yeah. So first and foremost, I have to say I um, am so grateful to the two of you especially. Um, so for those who perhaps don't know, um, Dan and uh, Ryan are both uh, two initiates of mine. Um, <laughs> and I am continually so proud of the work that the two of you do. I really have to say, because anytime I have, anytime I am ever, or anytime I ever feel or wonder if I'm doing the work that I'm supposed to be doing, or if I'm supposed to continue teaching, or, you know, what's the point of me being a teacher? Um, anytime I'm ever feeling discouraged in that place, not just the two of you, but all of my students really help bring home for me that yes, this is, in fact, what I'm meant to be doing and where I'm supposed to be. Um, mm-hmm. It's it's really amazing and wonderful. Um, you know, I see, on a more general note, um, before I get all the clamped, um, <laughs> I know, I love you guys, too, <laughs> very, very much. Once this is all over, there's going to be so many hugs. Oh, my God. Y'all are going to explode. Huggle hug. Wait a minute. Michael's your initiate, too, right? I know. He is. Oh, my God. You guys are triggering my middle child syndrome right now. I'm, like, the only one. (laughs) Feel your otherness. I know. I need a little more chase in my life. (laughs) Hey, you know, that's okay, though. I love you, too. Um. Love you, Ken. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you know, I, I have to say that, you know, one of the things that I experience a lot, um, and this is something that is true not just of our tradition, but of a lot of pagan traditions, of a lot of neo-pagan spiritualities, um, it tends to attract a lot of broken people. Um, and this is not a bad thing. Um but it does make us a particularly vulnerable population. Um, We see this a lot in things that have gone on in the last few years. Um, Because we are a vulnerable population because of this fact, um, you know, we become more vulnerable to people who want to take advantage of us, who, you know, we've, we've had a lot of, um, Things come out in recent years um, where people have been outed as abusers, where people have been outed as, you know, either child molesters or, you know, um, people who are trying to form cults, Um, you know, and and it's it's can be a really scary place for people sometimes. Um, especially when somebody comes into these traditions looking for community, wanting some place, wanting desperately to have some place to belong. Um, and as well, something that is seen often and really unfortunately is because we ourselves 
recognize that, you know, that hurtness, that brokenness in others. Sometimes people who are in positions of leadership or who are in positions to be teachers or mentors or what, or what have you will take on students or will involve themselves in the lives of students that become incredibly dangerous or toxic. Um, I've been very fortunate to not have that happen so far, um, but I do know many people in the community who have not been so lucky. Um, you know, we I know of someone who has had to have uh, literal FBI protection from a former student who became a stalker who was seriously mentally unwell. Um, and that can be really scary, and it can be something that we end up encountering or we end up, I don't want to say bringing upon ourselves because that's not really how that works, but um, we may choose to overlook things from people because we think back to ourselves, you know, I remember when I felt that way, or I, that sounds a lot like what I went through, um, and we want to help people. We want to make people not feel othered. So, on, you know, I guess it's the rambling of that. Uh, just be cautious when you have dealings with a community that does often bring people with mental illness into itself. Um, our communities can be a great place of healing. They can be a great place of support and of belonging. And it's also important that we not focus on that idea to the exclusion of common sense. Here, here. Oh my gosh. That was, that was great. <laughs> Thank you so much, yeah. Trace, for, uh, for all of that. Um, but <laughs> before we go, Ryan and Dan, uh, do you have any last minute words that you'd like to say before we head out? Um, I uh, just wanted to put it out there. I think that it's important. We're talking about mental health. And so I, again, I just want to stress that it's the aloneness. It's the isolation. Um, it's those things that end up being the scaffolding to the really dark places. Um, so I want to encourage people to reach out, even if that feels like the hardest thing to be doing, because if we're in relationship with people, um, we start to access support, we start to see that we're not alone. Um, and for those people that are really struggling, I did pull up um, some uh, hotlines that I just wanted to plug. Um, the Trevor Lifeline um, is for trans and queer youth. And that number is, it's 24-7. That number is 1-866-488-7386. And then I also uh, saw that there's a LGBT National Help Center, which is at glbthotline.org. And if you go on that website, you'll see that they actually have some differentiated services based on specific uh, communities within the LGBT umbrella. Um, as resources and ways to reach out. Um, so you're not alone in this. Uh, and we often need to know you're struggling to be able to give you support. Thank you for that. Oh, great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, yeah. A, that's my plug. Thank you, Ryan. Yeah. 
You're welcome. Yeah, yeah. If I was to close, um, I think it, it would be around the notion that healing comes with some risk, you know, and that, um, you know, sometimes um, it's going to seem like too much, but you have to do that opposite action. You have to take some concrete step because in that process of doing something, even if it's scary, you're going to gain more self-esteem and self-respect over time. And then you have some data for your brain to use later to fight the emotional mind, right? You, you need to give yourself more data, whether it's, I took a shower today, or whether it's, hey, I texted a friend, you know, I tried to get some help, or, hey, I ate two meals today instead of zero, you know, it's, it's all about these small victories and focusing on the small victory each day and then slowly expanding that. And, and like Ryan said, then, then you have something to kind of rest about, okay, I did something today. So you're not just spiraling back into the negative self-talk loop and keeping the depression and anxiety alive. You know, I just want to say thank you both for agreeing to be on the show with us today. Thank you. You know, and just love everything that you said today. Well, thanks for having me. Yeah. Yeah, this felt like, a, honestly, this felt like a big deal for me. I just was, like, trying to save spoons all day because when I get a chance to speak to community about stuff that is so dear to me, I just, it, it meant a lot. I really appreciate it. And mm-hmm. um, And Michael and Chase and Chris, thank you so so much for the podcast because mm-hmm. it is like a thing I get to touch down into once in a while and it's mm-hmm. like coming home. I just really, really appreciate the service to community. Oh, thank you. Oh, thank you. <sighs> okay. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm getting, I'm getting all missy ad. <laughs> 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 okay. You can't miss all the Clint. All right. Well, we're coming up to the close of our show. And we would like to thank everyone who is listening right now. We hope you will continue to walk this path with us. Uh, Please leave a rating or comment and let us know how you liked today's episode or how you like our show in general. If you would like to get in touch with myself or my co-host, please hit us up in our email account at walkingtheunnamedpath at gmail.com. Or you can follow us on Twitter at walking underscore the UP. And, of course, you can always find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash walkingtheunnamedpath. Again, thank you, Ryan and Dan. And thank you, Chris and Chase. You know, I, all of y'all contributed so much to today's episode. And, you know, it, it was awesome. It was great. I love you all. Yeah, love and thank you, you Michael. <laughs> love you, brothers. Bless you. All. And we will see you next time. Say bye. 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 Bye.